The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Too Much Information is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Too Much Information, the show that brings you the secret histories and little-known fascinating facts behind your favorite TV shows, movies, music, and more. We are your two directors of data. I am Alex Heigl. And I'm Jordan Runtog. And Jordan, today we're talking about one of the high-water marks of both pop country and the late 90s record industry writ large. (laughs) We are talking about Shania Twain's Come On Over. Do you remember the era of this thing's dominance? Because I sure do. It was everywhere. Inescapable. Felt like several years. I believe it was once we hit the chart history later. I mean, to me, this was up there with the Spice Girls in terms of songs that all my female friends in like elementary school would sing around the playground in large groups. I mean, it just it was in like every elementary school, like in middle and high school, like cheerleading routine for a while. Yeah, lip sync, lip sync uh, events after school. Yeah, I mean, man, I feel like a woman was was a huge song. Uh, I mean, especially the line, you know, the best part about being a woman is the prerogative to have a little fun. I feel like that was always a line that got a little extra emphasis. Standing on the shoulders of Cyndi Lauper maybe. Girls just want to have fun, but still powerful nonetheless. And revisiting this album, it's such a huge reminder of this period when country was just gargantuan in a way that I don't think it's quite the same now. I mean, you had Garth, you had the Dixie Chicks, you had Faith Hill, you had Reba. And, you know, obviously there are country crossover artists now, but I don't think there's anything on the same scope. I think it just became more balkanized. Like, I think at a Mm. certain point country decided it largely like didn't need pop here's a steaming hot take i bet it was 9-11 i think all the reactionary and like outsider elements of country music kind of crystallized around that period of american jingoism and you got like well maybe it was the dixie chicks versus toby keith and the bush thing that might have been the split yeah and then everyone was like well let's put the walls back up and i don't know yeah i think you're right though you get your like casey musgraves and your taylor swifts but yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know, though. On the flip side, it's interesting to think of the battles that Shania Twain fought for being a crossover artist because oh she sure did first there was the garden variety sexism for people who just sought to minimize her because of the way she dressed or tried to disparage her accomplishments despite the fact that she wrote or co-wrote like all of her songs basically but there was a lot of talk at the time about her being too pop to be country or too country to be pop and you just look at the videos for that don't impress me much but that's not what a country video looked like certainly then even now there was a marked lack of 10 gallon hats wrangler <laughs> jeans headset mics yeah i was gonna say surely there are other aesthetic touchstones of country music but oh yeah this you you started talking about the versions of this which i didn't even dig into yeah she released come on over in three different formats original country with like you know fiddles up the wazoo 11 revised, secret herbs and spices yeah <laughs> Uh, a revised pop-friendly version, and then an international club version. And I just, I can't imagine Taylor Swift feeling moved to release different versions of, well, like, Red-era stuff. Mm, well, okay. I was going to say, I think you want to take that line again. <laughs> <laughs> no, stylistically, though, I can't imagine yeah, no, her feeling right. the need to make her same songs in different ways for different markets. You're right. Like, that's just yeah. crazy to me. So I just really think that Come On Over changed the whole conception of what country music, you know, in, in heavy air quotes, could be and what its audience looked like. Yeah. And um, so we're going to take a closer look at this from the uh, absolutely insane backstory of Shania to the reclusive ex-metal super producer behind the boards for it to its truly mind-boggling sales figures here is everything you didn't know about come on over Uh, I just wanted to tell everyone that all of these outline headers are titled with the <laughs> punctuation for Man, I Feel Like a Woman. So this first one is, Man, I Feel Canadian. Shania Twain, real name Eileen Regina Edwards, had basically a childhood out of a country song. Her parents divorced when she was two, and her mother Sharon subsequently remarried a gentleman from the Ojibwa, Ojibwe, named Jerry Twain. And... Shania has often referred to him as her father because, in her words, Jerry went out of his way to raise three daughters that weren't even his. For me to acknowledge another man as my father, a man who was never there for me as a father, who wasn't the one who struggled every day to put food on our table, would have hurt him terribly. We were a family. Which is a laudable sentiment that, in the pre-internet fact-checking days wreaked havoc on the American music press and the U.S. government, apparently. I was reading about this. She, I believe, is considered a First Nations woman by the government because of Jerry. She is on the official membership list of the Temagami First Nation. She applied for immigration status into the U.S. in 1991. And at that time, by virtue of her stepdad being a full-blooded First Nations person, and the rights guaranteed to Native Americans in the Jay Treaty of 1795, she became legally registered in the U.S. as having 50% Native American blood. So, Shania Twain, by bureaucracy, grandfathered into <laughs> not being entirely white. Anyway... So, on the topic of Shania and her confusing connection to First Nation tribes, there's a persistent rumor that she took her stage name, Shania, from an Ojibwe word meaning, I'm on my way, when she moved to Nashville to start her music career, or to really jumpstart her music career. But you have a different take on this. Yeah, I found this article in the uh, the Omaha World Herald. Her biographer, Robin Egger, 
contends that there is no <laughs> word in either Ojibwe or Cree that comes close to meaning on my way. <laughs> but it's just been repeated. He said that there is a phrase in Ojibwe that is ani ayaa, which means someone on the way, that could possibly have been misheard and transliterated as Shania. But uh, she's think, not saying. If you're going to choose your name, chances are you'd hear it more than once <laughs> and not mishear it. Well, speaking of Shania mythology, that's really interesting, but somewhat questionable. Her great grandfather, when they were emigrating from Ireland to Canada, promised his wife that he would book the family on a brand new big old ship called the Titanic. <laughs> and he got down to the dock, and according to uh, family history, they were all sold out of third-class tickets, which is all he could afford, so they had to go on a later ship. And a couple days later, Titanic sank. That's the story. Um, <laughs> I do know as a massive Titanic nerd that Titanic was extremely under capacity on its one and only voyage, so this is maybe just a bit of Shania family lore, but... <laughs> Uh, or there's just this guy didn't want to shell out on tickets for, you know, probably a slightly more expensive ship. So maybe, oh, sorry, I was sold out. Got to go on a later one. So, yeah, so I don't know. But I really like this story that uh, Shania's ancestors very nearly booked on the Titanic. But, man, she really had a rough time from birth. In her memoir, she talks about the doctor who was delivering her thinking that she was stillborn because apparently she was really quiet and kind of had a blue tint to her. And the doctor, because it was 1965, believing <laughs> that this baby had died uh, very quietly and solemnly, took out a package of cigarettes, stuck one in Shania's mom's mouth on the operating table and lit <laughs> it for her by way of uh, consolation, I guess. But then, then the baby started making noise and Shania lived. And now here we are. Here we are. Her whole life has been leading up to this moment of us <laughs> talking about her on this show. Uh, that is a country song if I've ever heard one. Yeah. Been having secondhand smoke since the day I was born. <laughs> You'll get a few more of those coming up. I'm going to sing a lot of country songs, and they are all verbally copyrighted. So <laughs> Chet Atkins' ghost, get in contact with me. Yeah, rough childhood continues. They, things did not get better for young Shania. No. Jerry and Sharon's marriage occasionally devolved into physical violence. At one point, Sharon took the kids to a shelter, but she did eventually return. Um, her autobiography is littered with these vivid descriptions of more country songs that she lived through. Yeah. When Shania was 11, she said that she whacked her father, well, stepfather Jerry across the back with a chair when he was abusing her mother. And she wrote about this in her memoir. She said, before I could get away, he punched me in the jaw. Adrenaline pumping, I punched him back. Hell yeah. I mean, it, it just gets so much worse. I mean, we won't dwell on this whole Dickensian childhood, but she also wrote that there were times when her adoptive dad would whisper obscenities to her while she slept and molested her while she slept as a teen. Uh, and then when times were tough, or like tough financially, because it sounds like they were always tough, yeah. uh, they often had nothing to eat but what they called goulash, which was boiled milk on dry bread topped with brown sugar. And she said, no matter how much of that you had in your belly, it was hard to feel satisfied. And they also had moose and beaver meat sent over from the local reservation. So... 
<laughs> yes. Again, beaver Dickensian. Meat. Beaver meat on dry bread won't fill your stomach full. Um, poor woman. Yeah. By the age of eight, she was singing in bars to supplement the family's income, finishing up as late as one in the morning. Wow. An eight-year-old in a Canadian bar at one in the morning. Dickensian doesn't cover it. Uh, an early taste of fame, though, that she did get was performing in the CBC's Tommy Hunter show at 13, and she fronted a local covers band while she was in high school, I think singing rock songs, which is funny because we'll get into it later. She said she was a big classic rock fan. Well, I guess it wouldn't have been classic rock at the era. It would have been current rock. rock. <laughs> Another detail that I love is that she worked for her, uh, I think, Jerry's reforestation business in northern Ontario, walking miles a day and carrying trees. <laughs> um, don't f*** with Shania Twain. Yeah, this is like Paul Bunyan's daughter. God. I mean, I think she also learned how to, like, track animals and, like skin rabbits and stuff like she she could live off the grid this this music thing is just all gravy like she doesn't need she doesn't need any of us good lord uh she's also apparently a beast at basketball or at least when she was a kid she said she was only like five foot four so she would get smothered going into the box but she could shoot three-pointers like nobody's business so that twain serious faceted yeah multifaceted um, she kept performing throughout Ontario until Sharon and Jerry died in a car accident in 1987, and she moved back. Yeah, like I said, it just gets worse and worse until she moved back home, or and then she moved back home to take care of her siblings. You have one last horrifying detail from this period of her life. Yeah, she talks about doing laundry in the quote cold black river. This was my laundry room. Period. <sighs> Doing laundry in the cold black river. <laughs> she told The Guardian in 2018 that a third of my relatives were suicide deaths at young ages. That is not an exaggeration. A number of them died prematurely just from neglect and alcohol abuse. <sighs> Finally. Just, so much respect for like surviving, literally. Yeah. Just it's living. one thing to survive and it's another thing to be like, I will also raise my siblings now. Well, you yeah, know? raise my siblings and then I will also... Make, make a the diamond ninth, selling record. Yeah, the ninth best selling album wrote, in yeah. music history. Good oh, Lord. Um, Amazing. She did, however, eventually make it to the Great White South and uh, signed to Mercury Nashville within a few months, actually, of playing a label showcase in uh, Ontario in 1993. But her debut record failed to make much of a splash, and she has essentially since disowned it, claiming that she had little, if any, creative control on it. Do you know that Sean Penn directed a music video for a song on that album? I sure didn't. Dance with the One That Brought You, it's called. And I guess he contacted her label and specifically requested that he get this gig, which is really <laughs> interesting to me. And during the shoot, I guess she was still hard up for money at the time. He gave her a $100 bill to help her out uh, until the album royalties came through. So that's an interesting connection there. I feel like there's definitely a deeper story behind that, but I don't know it. That's weird, though. Sean Penn definitely was, like, trying to scam on her. Yeah, I know. I yeah. was thinking that. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more Too Much Information in just a moment. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. 
Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Uh, next up, we have a section entitled Mutt. I feel like a Wolang. Because now we arrive at Robert John Mutt Lang. Born in 1948 in what is now Zambia, which I think at the time was Rhodesia, uh, Lang's childhood was diametrically opposed to Twain's. His German mother came from a wealthy family, and his South African dad was a mining engineer. And you know what that means if you are a white guy in mining in South Africa. Your empire is built on blood. Mutt was a big fan of country music growing up and did not have much in the way of obstacles to becoming one of the biggest producers of all time. He had basically been in a few bands in South Africa and until 78, 1978, his biggest song was for the British soccer team Ipswich Town and he's like a novelty song. He um, re-recorded a 1977 single called Give That Thang to Me. By Paul Jones, who, yes, folks, that Paul Jones, the lead singer of Manfred Mann. Uh, and he basically just made it about soccer. He made like a Weird Al novelty song. That was it. Then he produces a song called Rat Trap by the Boomtown Rats, which, yes, folks, Bob Geldof's band. I don't like Mondays. Yep. Shoots to number one on the UK singles chart in 1978. Knocks out Summer Nights from the Grease soundtrack. And much like a possibly misheard Ojibwe phrase, Mutt is on his way. Enter ACDC, as they frequently do in my life. ACDC was looking at this point for a record that would help them break through to the American mainstream. They had a few hits, uh, I think, in Australia, and they kind of were making waves as a live act when they were doing these international tours, but they didn't have the big U.S. hit yet. And initially, they were paired with Coincidentally, another knob tweaker from South Africa, Mr. Eddie Kramer, known for his work with Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, and Kiss. 
He did not get on with the band, and the last straw that saw him fired from this gig was, according to ACDC ex-manager Michael Browning in his book Highway to Hell, Kramer attempted them to cover the Spencer Davis group's song Give Me Some Lovin'. Which rips that. I could see them doing an amazing job of that. That Give me some lovin'. Browning subsequently turned to Lang, who aside from the Boomtown Rats had worked with these sort of pub rock adjacent bands like Graham Parker and Clover, who nerds will recognize are the backing band for Elvis Costello's first record and eventually evolved into Huey Lewis in the news. Um, That's a weird connection, Elvis Costello to Huey Lewis in the news. And Thin Lizzy. Oh, yeah. Uh, Huey Lewis plays harmonica on, uh, I think, uh, a live Thin Lizzy record, I want to say. Yeah, and so, you know, there was some friction at first. I think they were these wasted Australians, and they were, like, in a studio, and this guy's telling them, like, here's how you're going to play the guitar solo on this, and, like, here's how you need to breathe in order to sing. But they couldn't argue with the results. I mean, he did actually literally tell Bon Scott how to, like, breathe so that he wouldn't get winded in between songs because, God love him, Bon Scott was uh, a roustabout who somehow became a lead singer. But yeah, he would sit and kind of go through the um, guitar solos that Angus was playing and be like, oh, you should take this part, put it here, and build into that part. And fucking A, man, you cannot argue with results. 1979's Highway to Hell remains their second highest best-selling record behind their next record, which Lang also produced. That would be 1980's Back in Black, which is the second highest-selling record of all time. Let's just focus on Mutt Lang's tremendous batting average. Something like three of the highest selling records of all time are his. Back in Black, anyway. Highway to Hell, and Come well, On Over. Well, Highway to Hell's not on the list, oh. but but yeah, Come On Over. Maybe just two. Either way, Jesus. Still, yeah. And he doesn't stop. He helps Foreigner become the massive radio-friendly rock band that they are, I believe, best known as. They've been sort of like blues thumpers before then, but he does four in 1981, which goes six times platinum in the U.S. That has a urgent uh, looking for a girl like you. And then he pulls the same trick with Def Leppard two years later with uh, Pyromania, which sold 10 million copies in the U.S. I think he was on, uh, on with Def Leppard for... Like, um, two more records after that. And then, by the time he hears Shania's music, he had just come from producing Brian Adams' 1991 record, Waking Up the Neighbors, and he Lang has a co-write on Everything I Do, I Do It For You, which you may or may not remember from the Kevin Costner Robin Hood. That song spent 16 consecutive weeks at the top of the UK singles chart, a record that has not been broken I literally didn't believe you when I read this in your outline. I had to go fact check that myself. I had no idea that that is the longest running number one <laughs> single in the UK. I I thought it would have been Bohemian anything Rhapsody. Anything else. Any, literally candle anything in the, else. Candle in the Winds, you know, 97 version, something by Paul McCartney maybe. I, yeah, I had no idea. I can't believe that. Wow. I, I am hard pressed to think of another dude with those numbers. I mean, he must have Quincy more Jones. money than God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he probably owns a diamond mine from his dad, for starters. The thing about him is that he has given, like, two interviews his entire career. He lives in Switzerland uh, and does not talk to people. So I can't even find his dad's real name. I don't know if he has siblings. None of this is known. 
all of which is to say, though, <laughs> that when Mutt Lang... good. <laughs> yeah. Um, spent some time in Argentina for a while. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Point is, when Mutt Lang gets you on the phone, tells you he likes your song, you listen. Yeah, I mean, somehow Lang heard Shania's first record, and even though she didn't like it, he was impressed enough to call her up. And you've described them as the perfect yin and yang to each other, because Mutt grew up listening to country music, but he made his fortune in rock. Well, Shania loved rock music, but was trying her hand in the country scene. And we mentioned this earlier. Uh, her early band was called Long Shot, and she dressed like she was in White Snake or something. She had spandex pants, a headband, and this huge perm. So Hell that's yeah. a fun. I've been trying to find like pictures of her from that era, and I couldn't find very many, which is a shame. But yeah, Mutt and Shania <laughs> meet in Nashville in June 1993, and I guess they got to know each other on the phone for a lot of this time and the chemistry translated both to the studio and as you write other places because by December <laughs> 1993 they were married wow very quick courtship all of this leads to Shania's second record 1995's The Woman in Me this record sells 12 million <laughs> copies in the US <laughs> this man's what deal with Satan himself herself did this man make? I want to know what his net worth is. I mean, this is this is ridiculous. I mean, if he has points on these albums, which I'm sure he does, good lord. Well, he's got co-writes, right? So, yeah, oh, and um, co-writes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Shania, this I think this record establishes the precedent of releasing three quarters of the tracks as singles. So eight of these came out, including, of course, yes, folks, no one needs to know, which appears on yes, that's right, the soundtrack to the movie Twister. Now, let's just get back to sad Shania for a second. One of the singles is God Bless the Child, which is not the jazz standard, uh, which is based on a prayer that Shania used to sing to herself after her parents died. <sighs> <laughs> yes, deep sigh. Of the 12 songs, only two of them were not a co-write. Uh, Lang wrote one by himself, Twain wrote one by herself. Everything else was a co-write. The record wins a Grammy. But Twain decided not to tour on the record. Um, she did the television run um, because she said she, at this time, she wanted to focus on her songwriting. I think she said she was sick of doing covers was the other thing. She didn't feel like she had enough material to do a completely original set. And she was like, I'm not doing covers. Line in the sand. So the couple buckles down and they quickly get to work on the follow-up. A little record you may have heard of called Come On Over. Next section. Man. I feel like making a load of money. <laughs> that is right. Uh, in keeping with Lang's whole MO, Come On Over swings squarely at the pop charts, though it did contain a bona fide murderer's row, as you called it, of country musicians, including three separate fiddlers and three <laughs> separate steel guitarists. I didn't realize this. The guitarist from Steppenwolf, who did Born to be Wild, The Magic Carpenter Ride, a guy by the name of Larry Byram, plays slide guitar on this record. That's insane to me. <laughs> Larry Byram, folks. <laughs> wow. He contains multitudes. Before we go any further, we just got to get the crazy stats of this record. Come on over out of the way right now, because it's completely insane. Uh, it sold 40 million copies worldwide. <laughs> Depending on how you're counting, it's either the seventh or the ninth best-selling album of all time worldwide. I think it's tied with... It's like uh, Thriller 
Eagle's no, greatest thriller's, hits. Thriller is still number one. And yeah. then Back in Black is number two. Those points do not seem to be um, argued. But Eagle's great. No, Hotel California is fucking oh. Eagle's, man. Damn Don Henley to hell. <laughs> they have two entries on the. T- they have their greatest hits and Hotel California. God, I. On the top rough- 10 or, or. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Uh, Shania. With coming over Fleetwood Mac with rumors and the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack are all tied for seven to nine with um, claimed sales of forty million copies worldwide. So that's insane. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it stayed on the Billboard charts for two years. It's been recognized by Guinness as the biggest selling studio album by a female solo artist. Is there an alive album by a woman that outsells it globally? That's, that's uh, a weird way to phrase great, that. That's a great question. And it's also the best-selling album in the USA by a solo female artist. Sorry, Cher. Uh, that is <laughs> nuts. Interestingly, for an album of the stature, there are not a lot of specifics out there about the nitty-gritty that went into actually making it. Um, as you mentioned earlier, Mutt has given maybe two interviews in his entire life. And Shania probably isn't interested in spending much time revisiting their partnership since they split in 2008 after Mutt had an affair with Shania's best friend and secretary, a woman by the name of Mary Ann Theobald, presumably Canadian. Theobald? Theobald? Uh, oh. No, she's Swedish. Oh. This whole thing is ridiculous. We try not to do the gossip rag thing, but this story is insane. This woman, like... They were friends and an employee, and this woman just, like, ghosted Shania. She literally changed her phone number. Whoa. I mean, like, after, like, before she found out? Yeah, like, after all this broke down, Shania tried to, like, confront her about it. Like, what are you doing? You're breaking up my marriage. You stole my husband. And this woman was, like, Homer Simpson retreating into the bushes (laughs) gif. But it gets weirder. (laughs) Yeah, you gotta take this. Oh, my God. Yeah, so... On the first day of 2011, January 1st, Shania Twain marries Frederick, Frederick Thibodeau, Marie Anne's ex-husband. So they literally wife and husband swapped. Um, she said some stuff about in that Guardian interview. She said, I don't think Mutt ever knew me, which is sort of a weird thing to say about you know, the guy you were married to for decades, but whatever. Bizarrely enough, both of these couples still live in Switzerland, which is not a big country, and presumably <laughs> the millionaire's row is not that big either. So, like, do they bump into each other at the rich person store or the island where they hunt people for sport? <laughs> I mean, here's a question that I'm ashamed for asking, but I, I, I can't get it out of my mind. How much do you think marrying that ex-husband was done out of spite? So she says... Uh, I'm sure that's I mean, been I, asked. I think she basically said, like, they were already friends. And essentially, they just got closer. Or they, they were, like, already friends. And they just had, like... Oh, this is even wilder. According to Country Thang Daily, um, <laughs> which I regret, Twain found out through Frederick who was married to Marianne, that they were having an affair. And he had phone bills, hotel receipts. He had a whole case laid out. But, um, yeah, uh, Marie cut off communication with Twain. They were emailing. This woman just never answered her. But, yeah, I don't know, man. They just, like, bonded over this misery and uh, got together. 
wild, man. Literally a wife swap with some of the richest people in country music who are now living in Switzerland. Anyway, um... It's an eyes wide shut I'd like to see. <laughs> eyes wide mutt. <laughs> As you meditate on that, we'll be right back with more Too Much Information after these messages. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. GameBridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at GameBridge.io. Please visit GameBridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. If you're 21 years old and use nicotine or tobacco, I'm here to tell you about Black Buffalo and how it's redefining tradition for millions of adult consumers. So if you're over 21, consume nicotine or tobacco, and want to join the Black Buffalo herd, head over to blackbuffalo.com to learn more. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults aged 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. Once again, three quarters of this album's tracks were released as singled, but I would just like to note that the one we're not going to talk about from this moment on, she originally envisioned Celine Dion singing it. Uh, she wrote it during a soccer game that she was seeing with Mutt in, I think, Italy, as she said. She was so bored, she just started writing this song in her head. God love her. And their initial choice for a duet partner was your perennial favorite, uh, Mr. Elton John. Oh, wow. Who actually was the duet partner on that? Some random uh, oh. guy who I don't know. Mutt um, didn't want to show out. He didn't want to blow his back and black bucks on getting Elton on that. <laughs> uh, now, let us talk about that don't impress me much. Jordan. Yes. Uh, younger listeners will probably not remember that before he was caught breaking Jennifer Aniston's heart with Angelina Jolie, Brad Pitt was in the news for a very different kind of scandal, one that I actually have to admit I completely forgot about, too. He sued Playgirl magazine in 1997 over nude photos that the magazine published that he alleged were illegally taken by a trespassing paparazzi member, paparazzo, while he was vacationing with his then-girlfriend Gwyneth Paltrow in the West Indies in 1995. 
1995. Brad won that case, and the judge issued a restraining order against Playgirl magazine, preventing it from shipping any more copies of that issue with the offending photos in it, and eventually ordered Playgirl to recall all of the issues altogether with that photo. Uh, Anyway, so this whole kerfuffle really stuck with Shania, who... uh, I guess, as you so indelibly put it, was just not that impressed with the news. <laughs> so that's why she stuck Brad Pitt's name in her song that don't impress me much. I think she said she wasn't impressed. I, I I should have clarified. She said she was not impressed with the scandal. I don't think she was making an implication about Brad's... Um, uh, she just was like, it's a naked body. I don't get it. Anyway, one of the most iconic music videos of all time. Um, yeah. She is trekking through the actual literal Mojave Desert at uh, El Mirage. I wasn't green screened. Nope. Wow. On location, baby. Shania doesn't phone it in. That's true. She, she like literally is planting a forest one tree at a time and just like tracking <laughs> yeah. animals and skinning them and then yeah. shooting three-pointers. I guess she can handle a day in the desert, but hell. Um, El Mirage Dry Lake in Barstow, California, which uh, you probably have seen in the background of car commercials. It's a popular spot to just take cars and whip them around for movies because it's just very empty and scenic. It was directed by a Scotsman named Paul Boyd, who has to this day filmed nine music videos for Shania, including the other two we're about to talk about. Model John DeVoe, who had previously appeared in the video for You're Still the One, appears in the video, which thus makes the case for the Shania Twain cinematic universe. But obviously the most impactful element of this video is Twain's hooded full-length leopard print outfit, Uh, which has become kind of an iconic look for a generation. It was the work of a South African designer named Mark Boer, who did return to Twain's side for her 2012 Still the One tour. Uh, And in 2020, she broke the internet, as people f***ing say nowadays, for a 2020 video uh, where she wore a new version of it with everybody's favorite hipster country guy, Orville Peck. Uh, You know what's in that hat box she's carting around in the video for You Don't Impress Me Much? What's that? Nothing. She solved ah. the great internet question in an interview with AARP in 2020. God love her. Another, speaking, also speaking of don't f*** with Shania file. <laughs> yes. Uh, she apparently thought that staying at a hotel somewhere nearby would be too much of a pain because she had such an early call time. So instead, the night before she shot that video, she camped out in the <laughs> desert. The Mojave Desert she at a dry op- she, lake. She chose this. She thought <laughs> that was easier. She decided to rough it overnight and wake up as refreshed as one can be after a night in the Mojave Desert. You really do not mess with Shania Twain. She is God so cool. Her. I just have never mm-hmm. guessed that you could dump her in the middle of the Mojave Desert, presumably with nothing, and she, <laughs> she would survive. Thrive. Yeah. <laughs> So, You're Still the One, we now arrive at, a song which, God, I heard too many times at, like, middle school dances and shit. Uh, do you play that? Is that a big wedding banger? Um, it's been a first dance a couple times during the wedding sure. DJ, yeah. Um, but, so, apparently when Twain and Lang, I can't believe this is the first time we're saying that, Twang, Lwain, what's their couple name? Twang? Yeah, let's go with Twang. It's actually literally Twang. For a country music power couple? I can't believe I'm just thinking of this. Anyway, there was a lot of scuttlebutt in the notoriously catty music industry about their nearly 20-year age gap. And since Twain had really only had the one kind of semi-flop to her name at that point, some assumed that she was using him to advance her career. Or that he was using her. 
Yeah. Chalk that up to garden variety sexism. Uh, she said on Top of the Pops in 1999 that she had actually never intended to write a song about their relationship, but she was sufficiently moved by all of the negative chatter in the press to write You're Still the One as a response. And this song came together as did a lot of the others. Um, the couple would bring in pieces of tunes that they worked on uh, on their own to each other and then kind of stitch them together in the studio. Uh, she said, Mutt and I spent a lot of time apart as I was promoting and touring, and he was in studios working on tracks and arrangements as we wrote. And this is in her autobiography from this moment on. It's surprising that we were able to write all this stuff with so little time together. We wrote independently and merged ideas when we joined up. And she said, I remember feeling very excited about the counterline sung by Mutt as backing vocals in You're Still the One. As I sang the chorus melody repeatedly while working out the lyrics, he kicked in with the counterline, You're Still the One, and it gave me chills. All of a sudden, we had a hit chorus. It was a magic moment. I just want to say there's this great quote she has uh, talking about what I'll loosely term their, their writing process during this album. She said, sometimes we would literally go two or three days at a time where we'd sit by the fire and start writing in the morning, then go for a walk later in the afternoon, go for a horseback ride or eat, then write, go to bed really late, get up early in the morning and start all over again. And she says that as if it's like not a resort vacation. <laughs> I just like, man, that sounds awesome. Not to be this guy, but like I've written, recorded, and released a lot of my own music, and every single one of those experiences ended with me doing the Joe Exotic. I am never going to financially recover <laughs> from this. So just God, I again, I begrudge Shania nothing, and I will defend her to the death. But man, do I wish I had been alive in the 1990s. Make, well, I mean, I was alive, but man, I wish I had been a, in the music industry in the 1990s because boy, it seems like a magical time. And Clive Davis flying out engineers to work in like 12 hour shifts on Supernatural. You ever hear yeah. about that? Just like the money that was in this industry. And then, you know, Kevin Spacey blowing in um, Usual Suspects <laughs> just all went away. And the rest of us are all just fighting over streaming scraps. I just read on Guinness that um, in uh, 2015 on Watch What Happens Live, Shania said she made about $20 million from this album. I mean, my response is, is that it? Like, I, I know, a diamond right? well, seller? I mean, did you ever see those? Did you ever see those breakdowns of 1990s, like, CD prices where it's like, you know, 10% of it? So, you know, 40 million records, she made 20 yeah, million off of okay. it. That's about right. I'm sure the record, the label, whatever label it was on, made the lion's share of that. What is that? 50 cents a record? I can't do math. Yeah. If you, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Man, tracks. How uh, many plays would it take to get 50 cents on Spotify? <laughs> uh, audible gun cocking noise in the background. <laughs> um, next section. Man, I feel like Robert Palmer, the 80s new waver, not the respected musicologist and author. Uh, and now we arrive at Man, I Feel Like a Woman, which, what other song has more obnoxious punctuation in the title? I have one. There's a song by the birds called What's Happening? Question mark, exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark, question mark, exclamation mark. So there's shitting me? I didn't know that. Yeah, there's one. So that oh, one's... which era? Crosby era? I think end of Crosby era. Well, that yeah. explains it. I think it's, I think it's from 5D. 
Oh, boy. This is my first knock against Shania, despite the laudable sort of message of this song. I don't think she's likely to collaborate with any... She's not going to collaborate with Kathleen Hanna from Bikini Kill at any point. Uh, She has said of this song, quote, I think women are kind of spoiled in a lot of ways with the advantages that we have. Feminists may not feel that way, but I do. It's pretty darn fun to be a woman. Anyway, this song goes back to her hardscrabble childhood, hustling at the Deerhurst Resort in Huntsville, Ontario. Uh, She remembers seeing drag queens performing there, and I guess that stuck with her. That riff. That's a Mutt Lang original, baby. He brought it to Twain, and she arrived at the title first and wrote the rest of the song around that phrase became a Grammy-winning song and lodged itself firmly in the pop culture consciousness for the rest of time. A lot of critics have compared that riff to Spirit in the Sky by Norman Greenbaum from 1970, which I'd never thought of, but now I can't on here. Anyway, the video for this, also directed by Boyd, is, as we alluded to in the section header title for this, uh, a gender-flipped nod to Robert Palmer's clips through the 80s for Addicted to Love and Simply Irresistible. Palmer is this uh, sort of pub rock-adjacent journeyman who had broken from the power station uh, recently. Oh, yeah. And uh, at, at the time that Addicted to Love came out, he pitched that song as a duet with Shaka Khan, which would have whipped Whoa. untold amounts of ass. In case you haven't seen it, you most likely have. Palmer sings the song surrounded by women with a severe kabuki German expressionist-esque makeup, and they're all in black. Uh, it was influenced by a painter named Patrick Nagel, who you may... I don't know why I keep saying you may recognize. Nobody recognizes this shit except for us. Duran uh, Duran's Rio. The cover of Rio is a Patrick Nagel original. Uh, and these models are all miming to various degrees of accuracy and success uh, the instrumentals of the song. Shania is not alone in parodying this clip. <laughs> Weird Al Yankovic, Tone Loke, Bowling for Soup, Shakira, and Paula Abdul have also all spoofed it or referenced it at one point or another. So, I didn't realize that. Good for Robert Palmer. Patrick Nagel's work is, you've definitely seen it. It's, it's the cover to Rio, and it, it's almost like 80s art deco. It's very, yeah. very, very pastel colors, almost like cartoonish. Interesting, yeah, yeah interesting work. Um, this is the part of the show where I over-intellectualize Shania Twain's lyrics. Go on. But, you know, many of these songs really do seem pretty progressive for the 90s, and even ahead of their time at points. Uh, man, I feel like a woman, as we've already mentioned, the celebration of uh, femininity, and that's obvious and probably the least compelling example. Uh, Come on over, song about inclusion. Don't Be Stupid, uh, which is about telling off an oppressive, jealous partner, uh, reads pretty differently in a post-Me Too era. And she literally has a song called If You Want to Touch Her, Ask, which is a, hmm. a consent anthem, if there ever was one. And she also has a song on this album about escaping domestic abuse called Black Eyes, Blue Tears, which, to make it even more dark, uh, was mm-hmm. inspired by Nicole Brown Simpson's murder, apparently. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, the, the <laughs> lyrics on here are a lot deeper than I think people would give it credit for. Somehow, Twain followed Come On Over with a nearly as impressive record for Up. 
<laughs> like a child begging to be held. Uh, released in 2002, she and Lang Twang wrote and recorded this in Berlin, Rome, Vienna, Paris, Avignon, Provence, uh, Milan, Dublin, the Bahamas, the Grenadine Islands, and fucking Mumbai. That seems inefficient. <laughs> <laughs> not not only excessive, of, but that doesn't bother me, but just the inefficiency bothers <laughs> some me. Some kind of airline miles scam they were running. This damn record, which I cannot remember or name a single song off of for the life of me, within nope. two years certified at 11 times platinum, making Shania the only female artist to have three consecutive diamond albums in the US. Three diamond albums in a row. That is insane. Those are Michael Jackson numbers. It's worth four hundred million. Oh, I was just throwing. She's to see worth four hundred million. Yeah, she's worth every penny. She played the Super Bowl halftime show three months after it came out, which honestly feels like a pretty low stakes achievement after three <laughs> consecutive diamond selling records. Holy. <laughs> Good lord. Off the strength of that incredible 10-year run, Shania put out a greatest hits CD in 2003, which most certainly also sold gargantuan numbers. But there was a problem. She was bitten by a tick while horseback riding in Norfolk, Virginia that same year, and subsequently developed the common complication of Lyme disease from the bite, which caused nerve damage that rendered her unable to sing. And in 2018, a Philadelphia doctor named Robert Sadilov, the guy who diagnosed the cause of the loss of her voice, implanted something called Gore-Tex stabilizers in her throat to help with her weakened voice. So once she had those stabilizers in there, she worked with vocal trainers and did a lot of th vocal therapy and warm-ups, and uh, she's since returned to live shows and been welcomed by a generation of younger country singers like Taylor Swift and Casey Musgraves, who took over the mantle of country crossover super mega ultra star, and often took Come On Over to heart, using it as a blueprint for their own transitions from, as you say, the cozy confines of the country community into the wider world of pop. The whole thing with her voice is crazy. It took seven years before they were able to find out what was going on, basically. She didn't think she was ever going to be able to sing again. And it could have been worse, which is what's even wilder. Like, um... Well, this is because it, of the Lyme disease, right? It was a, a yeah, no, a yeah, nerve but it could have attacked. It could have attacked like different nerves. And she actually says that right now, singing is. This was in 2020. She's talking to our former employer, People Magazine. Uh, she says singing is actually easier for her than talking because of these stabilized. And she still has a scar. They, she went multiple surgeries. She had basically. Have you ever seen the cameras that show how your vocal folds move? Sort yeah, a little yeah, S kind of yeah. So these. Things that are in her vocal cords are like crutches for her vocal folds. They essentially stabilize the motion of her vocal folds in her throat so that they don't have to like, I guess, work as hard. Or they, in their weakened state, they are strengthened by these synthetic things that are, have been inserted in there. But wow. yeah, man, it is wild. Um, Man, I feel like an outro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know... It is really hard to imagine all this shit that she went through in the 90s. I mean, from being a relatively unknown person uh, who was collaborating with this mega producer, just, even the shit that was said to her face paled to the stuff that happened behind closed doors, I'm sure. Uh, you know, the country music establishment came after her for being too pop or too sexy. They suggested that Lang was behind every single move that she made. And this is super up, man. Steve Earle, who's like the quote-unquote hardcore troubadour, this sort of avatar of 
Americana, alt-country authenticity. I had no idea he said this. He called her the world's highest paid lap dancer. God. <laughs> you, Steve Earle. That's horse but yeah, I mean, all kinds of artists in our generation openly acknowledge her as a major influence. I mean, obviously there's people like Casey Musgraves and Carrie Underwood, but less obviously uh, Halsey is a huge fan. Harry Styles, also a huge fan. I think she guested with him on at one point on uh, Coachella. I think she came on and oh, wow. uh, uh, did a song with him. You know, possibly the most impressive thing at all is that she has not one, but two signature fragrances <laughs> from Stetson. The hat people? Yes. I think they make cologne. Don't they make like cologne you can get at gas stations? Oh, maybe. I just know Stetson hats, which I mean is very country, so probably. And her own signature uh, Febreze blend. Wow. Which did, go, which, which did go to charity. So she who laughs last laughs loudest from atop a pile of money in Switzerland. Just to get back to what you were saying earlier about Steve Earle, there was this... Really kind of insane line from the New York Times from around the time Come On Over came out. New York Times labeled Shania a rebel who, quote, sings about taking charge and about unabashed lust. She bears her navel. And uh, Shania said, I refuse to play down the way I look in order to be taken seriously as an artist. I'm aware there's this mentality that you're not allowed to be intelligent and good looking or that you're not credible if you wear your hair like this or your shirt like that. But I will not accept that. It's not right. I mean, what the fuck was she supposed to do? Like dress in sackcloth and ashes? Like, come on, dude. Gingham. <laughs> uh, yeah. God, long live Shania. Uh, I hope she's very happy. And... That's all I have to say about that. Thanks for listening, folks. This has been Too Much Information. I'm Alex Heigl. Sorry. I got a siren. That's the country music establishment coming after you. <laughs> Talking shit about them. It's Toby Keith. is coming. <laughs> He's going to put a boot in your ass. <laughs> and I'm Jordan Runtog. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Information was a production of iHeartRadio. The show's executive producers are Noel Brown and Jordan Runtog. The supervising producer is Mike Johns. The show was researched, written, and hosted by Jordan Runtog and Alex Heigl. With original music by Seth Applebaum and the Ghost Funk Orchestra. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. 
Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity, designed for women's unique retirement needs, with flexible withdrawals plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. Gainbridge is helping build a better financial future for women. Retirement income you can't outlive is the ultimate flex. Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, full product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com.